Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians today, and I know you're thinking, what What are we doing in 2 Corinthians? Alright, so here's the deal. If you're kind of visiting, uh, we are in the book of Mark. But we, when we hit Mark 3, we went over to Matthew chapter 5, because that's kind of where the Sermon on the Mount, that is where the Sermon on the Mount fell. So we did a parallel passage. But then I went on a sabbatical, and I kind of got this revelation, not too weird, but revelation uh, hit me on my walk about God's purpose. So if you weren't here last week, make sure you get the CD. And by the way, it's fixed. Uh, the first 10 minutes was silent last week, so we, we have that problem fixed. So get a new CD from uh, two weeks ago, I'm sorry, two weeks ago, April 15th, when I talked about God's purpose for our life, okay? But today, we're going to do a second part of that. So if you turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, if you need a Bible, raise your hands nice and high till our Bible boys get to you. I, I think they're loaded up back there. All right, so here they come. Keep your hands up nice and high till the Bible boys get to you. But if you're using this Bible, it's page 822. Otherwise, you're on your own. There's, if you need a Bible, be our guest. Take it. And there's also tapes and CDs of the service. They're all free. Help yourself. You can also go on the podcast, okay? So like I mentioned last week, we, two weeks ago, last week we had Underground Church. Everybody had a good time at Underground Church? All right. Two weeks ago, we did God's purpose and plan for our lives. And once again, get the edited CD or go on the podcast. Karen will have the updated podcast on there. But today, I'm going to do a follow-up. And even next week, we're going to do a three-part. Then we're going to go back to Matthew and Mark and who knows where, right? But talk about God's purpose and plan for our lives and how we find that purpose and plan. Really, I think it's a really, very important topic. But today, I want to talk about how God prepares us for that purpose. How he prepares us for that purpose. And we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians 12. 9 and 10. I better pray because this is a, a tricky one to preach. Father, we thank you for bringing us all here. So many things happen throughout the week. It's mind-boggling. But Lord, we, we come back together for worship, to focus on you and to, to hear your word and to ask your spirit to speak to us through your word. Lord, you know what each one of us carries in this morning and what encouragement we need and what kind of transformation that we need in our life. We pray that your Holy Spirit would do that now through this passage from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we talked about finding your purpose. You've probably all done that. You've had two weeks to figure out your purpose, God's purpose for your life. So good, we're off to a good start. I'm joking. Obviously, it's, it's quite a process, isn't it? But before... God can accomplish his purpose in our lives. He must prepare us for that purpose. And he does it in a way that we would least expect or want him to, to do it. <laughs> Before we can become the person that God can use and fulfill his full potential for our lives, God must break us. Because, see, we all come with this thing called flesh. You know? And I'm not talking about just physical flesh, but spiritual flesh, right? And we, the flesh says, I can do it. I can do it. I can get to heaven someday. I can do whatever I need to do. I can control everything. I can, I can, I can. Starts when they're little babies, right? You have a little baby, you know what I'm talking about. But God's solution is that he breaks us down. Breaks us down. In fact, I was just talking to Jim 
uh, Conover about the Marines and how Nate Shields going in the Marines. And, and he was saying how the, the Marines, they break you down. And I know we have several other Marines out there. They're all shaking their head yes. Uh, the, the, they, Nate is going to be going on June 18th. So my Marines, all you Marines out there, make sure you're here on June 17th because I'm going to need your help sending him off, all right? Uh, so that's on June 17th. But the key on the Marines is they break you down. They really knock you down. They break you down. And they, and, and they get you to the place where you'll do whatever they say. Eat dirt. Jim was saying, eat dirt. Do whatever. You know, whatever they say. Even if it doesn't seem right, you do it because they say. And, and that's what God does too. We, when you become a Christian, we join the spiritual Marines. And God does the same thing. He breaks us to get to the point where we'll do what he wants. Instead of I can do it, you reach the point where... I can't do it, God. I need you to do this through me. And God often uses, before we become a Christian, I know some here aren't Christians yet, you're kind of seeking, searching, it's super. Come as long as you need to come. God's working in our heart. But before we become a Christian, he often uses a life-changing event to bring us to our knees. He uses a life-changing event to bring us to faith and to bring us to our knees and to save us, where we, we hit the point where we say, God, I need you for the first time in our life. We remember that a lot of you remember. I want to talk about the first time in our life. God, I need you. I need your forgiveness. I need your Son Jesus Christ, His death on that cross, His resurrection power. I need you, God. And that we hit that point where He uses a life-changing event to bring us to faith to save us. It kind of reminds me of that song Carrie Underwood, "Jesus Take the Wheel." You know that they, where she just in the song just lost control of her life and says, Jesus, you take the wheel. And that's what God uses often. And then even after we become a Christian, everything's all good. We, you know, we've, we've reached perfection and there's no more problems, right? <laughs> okay, that's funny. So then, as a Christian, often he uses not just that initial breaking, but he often uses a lifelong condition in our life to make us dependent on his grace. To soften us to God and to other people. He uses that lifelong condition to make us dependent. It's a a weakness. A spiritual weakness. Maybe it's a temptation that we face. Maybe it's a mental, emotional, physical struggle. Maybe it's something with our family or our marriage. A trial that just is ongoing. And God uses that to weaken us for his purpose. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, which is the only verse we're going to look at today, I want to encourage you to memorize this verse, all right? Paul just gets done with his thorn in the flesh. We have no idea what his weakness was, but I think God did it on purpose because it could be anybody's weakness, right? Any one of us can relate to that thorn in the flesh. Paul says, take it away, take it away, and God wouldn't take it away. But then he says in verse 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. If you never hear anything else I say for the rest of my life, your life, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Because that's when we depend on Christ. That's when we depend on God's grace. And God is the master surgeon. (laughs) 
He knows just where to cut us. He knows exactly what we need and and how to prepare us for that purpose. And we need to trust God because it's painful, isn't it? We need to trust him that he does love us. He's not trying to hurt us, that he's our daddy, our spiritual daddy, that whatever we're going through, whatever it is, is loving discipline in our life for a purpose. And the tougher we are, the harder it is to crack us. The more successful we are, the harder it is for God to break us. Because the more successful we are, the less grace we have. Because well, we're, why can't everybody be like us? Why can't they just get it like we get it, right? And, uh, and we, just, we don't have a lot of grace when we're successful. Also, the bigger the gifts and the, and the more abilities God gives us, the more pride we are susceptible to and have usually, right? And God has to deal with that. And God uses many, many different methods to do this spiritual surgery on us. It's usually suffering, could be our family, could be failure. He's, he's breaking our pride to, to create that dependence on us. And everybody is something different. I have 13 different 13 kids. And when I want, want to get through to my 13 kids, which I rarely do, uh, when I want to discipline them in some way or teach them something or bring them, move them forward in some way. Every one of them is so different. I have to use a different method each time. For some, it's more harsh. (laughs) For some, it's very gentle. For some, it's bribing. For some, it's taking something away. You know, it's give and take away. It's different from every kid. Some I have to really... Take out and, you know, make them run and do push-ups. It's not unusual. If you come during school time, you see somebody running up and down the road, back and forth. That's somebody being disciplined. Kim's like, I can't deal with them. And he calls the principal. That's me into the homeschool. And uh, I come out, run, you know, run to your feet, bleed, you know. And so uh, the, the uh, it, it's not, not that bad. I don't wear shoes. But anyway, but every one of them is different. And, and, and what, as a parent... What I try to do, and I, we do it very imperfectly, but try to figure out what helps each kid move forward. And everyone is so different. And God's the same way. He's got billions of children, and he knows exactly what it takes in our life to, to break us. And to not break us for the bad reason, but to move us forward. Signs that we need breaking. Here's a couple of things I was thinking of. What are some signs that God needs to break us at this point in our life? Which we can't see until after we're broken. <laughs> As I read this list, if you're unbroken, you'll be like, oh, I don't have any problem with any of those. But that's, that's a bad sign, right, by the way. But, God, but ask your wife or husband or someone else close to you if you need breaking in any of these areas, right? Because that's, that's the whole point. We can't see it. That's why God has to break us. It's after we're broken, we say, oh, yeah, I was like that, right? Critical. When we're, when we're critical of other people, we focus on other people's faults to a fault. That is a sign that we need some breaking. Control. We're very controlling, and, and we're, we're rigid, and even with our family, we're just controlling everybody all the time. Another sign. Uh, our image. We're worried about our image or our reputation. That's not a good sign. And we're not transparent with anybody because we're just trying to keep our image up. That's another sign. When we have a need for recognition or appreciation... We need to be recognized or we don't feel appreciated. And we get jealous of other people that we think are getting recognition or appreciation. That really bothers us. 
when we're never wrong. Remember Fonzie, when the first time he admitted he was wrong? Oh, he couldn't say it, right? I'm wrong, right? Yeah, when we're never wrong, we have trouble like Fonzie saying, uh, for those who remember happy days, we're never wrong. And it all comes from pride. It really all comes back to pride that God needs to break in our life. Before God can use us, before he can accomplish his purpose in our life, and once again, if you didn't get the CD or tape or listen to the podcast from last week, do that because this is, this is part two from last week. Before he can, we can accomplish that ultimate purpose, this awesome purpose in our life that God has for us, he has to break us. And that, this happens at salvation when we're coming to faith, when he's trying to bring us to faith, or, and also when he's trying to move us forward and accomplish something in our life. It's the same thing. He has to break us. And the key is, he, because we can't depend on God until we're totally broken. And God can't accomplish it in our life until we're truly broken. I was a lifeguard and taught life, lifeguarding and swimming and for a long, long time. And one of the things we taught our lifeguards, and I've you've heard this illustration because I've shared it with different people at different times, is whenever I was training a lifeguard, I was saying, okay, now somebody's drowning in the pool or in the lake or something, what do you do? Swim out and get them. Wrong. You never swim out to even a little child. Little kid goes off the diving board. You don't ever go over to I've seen people grabbed by little four-year-olds, five-year-olds in the water and almost drown them. You never try to help somebody. You don't swim out to them. You swim out to them with a life buoy or something, and you hand it out to them and don't let them get near you and let them take it. But... If you don't have that life buoy, when you swim out to them, you wait until they have no strength left. And you wait till they, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen somebody in the process of possibly drowning. They go under, they come up one more time, they go under, and then they, that's it. That's when you help that person, when they have no more strength left. Because if you reach out to help them, guess what they're going to do? They're going to drown you and them at the same time. They will kill you because the adrenaline, the strength is amazing because they still have some strength left. But it's when they have nothing left. You reach out and you grab them by the hair. That's what I thought. You grab them by the hair and you keep them arm length and you swim back to the shore. That's how you save somebody because there had to be nothing left. And that's where we need to be spiritually. Before we will say, God, I... I need to put my faith in your son, Jesus Christ. I I need your forgiveness. My life is a mess. I've got sin, and I can never get right with you. I can never get to heaven someday. I need you, God. And the same thing, after we put our faith in Christ, we're saved. It's still, God, I can't do it. I need you to witness. I need you to raise my kids. I need you to, you know, do my job. I need you to show people the love of Jesus Christ. It's total dependence. That's where you want us. And, and, and that's where God wants us. It's all over the Bible. As you, now as you read the Bible, you're going to start to see how God breaks people all over the place. It's, it's pretty wild. Uh, Jacob, I use Jacob as an example. Jacob in Genesis 32 and 33. Jacob was broken. Now, he was in, J- in Genesis 32. We're not going to read it all, but go back and read the, the whole story of Jacob there in Genesis. But in Genesis 32, Jacob was, was broken by a life-changing event. He thought Esau was going to 
kill him. His brother Esau was going to kill him, and he should have killed him. He deserved killing, right, after what he did to his brother. But he thought he was going to be killed, so he, he was broken in, in that chapter, and he came before God, and he's totally dependent. He was a different person to his brother. So that was, that was awesome. He thought Esau was going to kill him. And it's amazing how thinking you're going to be killed breaks us, right? Uh, I was talking to Chuck just before the service and how Scott, Scott Charity Water, somebody you know Charity Water and Scott doing this amazing work, but it all traced back to the nightclub, right? And somebody was going to come and kill him with a gun. Someone was trying to find Scott who was running a nightclub and someone brought in a gun and was trying to find him to kill him. And he ran, left New York City to get away from that hit person, right? And the rest is history. He ended up on the mercy ship, and now he's running Charity Water. But it all came back to that. Chuck and I were just talking before that. It all came back to that event, right? God, that was how God broke Esau. He thought he was going to be killed. But then, in verse 33, we, I'm sorry, chapter 33 of Genesis, God's not done. He did break him, but he also knew that it wasn't finished. God had to leave him with a condition, somehow a reminder that he needed to stay broken. Because a lot of us are so tough, right? So he's not done with him. He needed, he needed a lifelong condition, a reminder, because Jacob was super blessed. He had these huge herds and children. He had 12 sons and just, he had everything. He was blessed. And whenever we're super blessed, guess what? We have the potential to become a monster. In fact, it's rare that we don't become. That's what blessing does. We, we, the flesh gets going, the pride gets going. We're monsters. He was also very smart. And look how he, he was a really smart dude, this Jacob guy. But look how he used it. He deceived everybody. He's constantly deceiving and lying. He, that's what he did with his brains. Once again, we can see parallels in our life probably. And he was also very strong. Remember when they needed the rock moved? He picked it up by himself. Nobody could move the rock. All these guys couldn't move the rock. He did it by himself. He was strong. He was really strong. And because of that, he was a very self-sufficient guy. Didn't need God, Right? So God shows up in chapter Genesis 33. He shows up in human form. And he shows up in human form and he, and he puts, makes himself in human form at the same strength level as Jacob. And he wrestles him. And there you have a sport in the Bible. Wrestling is one of the main sports in the Bible. All right. Uh, Joe, I don't think Joe's here. Darn, Joe's not here. But, but anyway, wrestling is in the Bible. So we know that's a spiritual sport. Also, there's several other sports. You know, I was a youth pastor. Uh, uh, what's that? Baseball in the beginning, right? Okay. And there's one other sport. What other? What's that other one? Curling. Where's curling? Oh, you're joking, right? All right I'm, I'm being serious about this. Uh, no, tennis. Tennis. Joseph served in Pharaoh's court. All right. So, all right, so we got tennis. Hi. Right, uh, <clears throat> that's all the sports I, I know about. Okay. I know a lot of other jokes. But anyway, the uh, wrestling. He shows up and he wrestles him and he wrestles, he shows up, he wrestles him and they wrestle all night long. And God, he, he, jo, Jacob would not break. He would not break all night long wrestling with God. This angelic being, he's wrestling with him. And finally, God says, okay, I think I've proved my point. You are a, a tough nut to crack here. So I'm going to put an end to your flesh. And he reaches out with his pinky finger. You know, he didn't, God could have broke him any time. Touches him on the hip and cripples him. Cripples him. And he left him like that. And the rest of his life, Jacob walked with a limp. As a reminder, 
that he needed God's grace. That he was weak, not strong. And that his flesh was constantly fighting against God. Anybody here ever fight against God? Ever find yourself wrestling with God? And no matter what God does, you keep wrestling with him. You might know something like that. So God does this drastic thing, a permanent reminder of his weakness. And it's not just Jacob, it's everywhere. Moses, mighty Moses, in the flesh, going to deliver the Israelites, kills an Egyptian. What does God do? In the desert. Forty years in the desert, watching these stinking sheep, till he calls them back again. A very different guy. A stuttering, humble Moses who didn't think he could do it. David kills the giant. You would think he just killed Goliath. He's going to become the king. He's going to be the going to lead Israel to victory. This is good, good, good. What does God do? Puts him in a cave with a bunch of misfits. Because that's all you are, David, without me. You're just a king of misfits. You're going to live in this dirty, stinking, rotten cave with all these misfits. To remind him that someday when you do become the king, I'm the one who made you king. Peter preached sermons. Thousands of people come to Christ. Read the book of Acts. Powerful. Well, of course. He was outspoken with, with Jesus, remember? So outspoken that Jesus had to break him. And he said, you're going to deny me three times. And he said, Satan is sifting you. Sifting us to get rid of the pride in our life. Saul, before he became Paul, was blinded. Blinded before he could become Paul. In fact, that's where we get 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10 from Paul. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses, and in insults, and hardships, and persecutions, and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God likes it when we're weak. He likes it. Because it makes him look good. That's why he likes to use wimps. You're a spiritual wimp, you're in a good place. God likes to use wimps. Our impotence is his omnipotence. Our mess is God's message. Our test is God's testimony. Watchman Nee, some of you have read some of Watchman Nee's stuff, powerful. He spent 20 years in a Chinese prison because he was a Christian evangelist in China. 20 years in prison before dying in 1972 in prison. And he says this, Unless we are dealt with and broken through discipline, we shall restrict God. Without the breaking of the outward man, the church cannot be a channel of God. Do you know what he's talking about? How... I was thinking about my life and looking back at all the ways that God brought me to Christ and how he has continually had to give me many, many limps. I've been blessed with many, many limps, many breaks, uh, spiritual, physical, emotional, mental cracks, uh, 
like they say, the good thing about all these cracks is that God's grace can shine through, right? And I just look back at so many different things in my life, ministry and personal and parenting and all kinds of breakings. And I know that we're not even close to being done yet. Look back at your life. Maybe even take time this week to kind of journal back and say, wow, this is how he brought me to Christ and this is what he did to make me weak here and this is how he helped me help some other person in ministry and this is how he made me soft to this these people that are suffering with this struggle and and just kind of look back because it's just I look back and I would take two weeks just to tell you this story in my life and I know we all have these stories right that God gives us so many weaknesses how is God breaking you how is he breaking us Maybe you've never put your faith in Christ and this morning you realize that he's using a life-changing event in your life to bring you to him, to bring you into a close relationship with him, to show us our need for him and in the need of his grace and the need to put our faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're already a Christian and you're seeing that God's using maybe a lifelong condition that you've had or always will have that he's left in your life, that thorn in the flesh like Paul talks about. Or maybe it's ongoing little breaking points all along the way to remind us of our total dependence on God and to keep us close. I remember a couple friends of mine both got MS at the same time. I remember talking to them and, and both of them said the same exact thing. They said, you know what? It's terrible, this disease, this MS. It's really hard to live with, but... I've never been closer to God. Both of them said the same thing. I've never been closer to God, and I wouldn't trade this for anything. I wouldn't want it taken away, even if it could be taken away, because of what it's accomplishing. What purpose is God accomplishing in our life? Maybe it's, maybe it's to to break something in our life like sin. Maybe it's to break pride, self, flesh. Maybe it's just to bring us closer. Maybe we're doing great, but God just wants to bring us closer to him, a close relationship. Maybe he wants to change our life's direction. He's doing it not in a bad way, but to change our whole life's direction. Maybe he's using pain and failure and struggle and temptation and making us dependent because of that or, or showing us how to be more effective helping other people because of what we're battling and what we're, we're fighting. What is he accomplishing Maybe he's helping us find and live out God's, his purpose for our life through this breaking. I want to just show a little video before we close in prayer. It's about Marion Jones. A lot of you know Marion Jones. She was an Olympic runner, gold, won lots of gold medals, amazing runner. But God had a, a, a greater purpose for her life. And now we see what that is. I just want to show you this because I really think this illustrates what I've been trying to talk about this morning. Grace the covers of Time Magazine, Vogue Magazine, making millions of dollars, household name, and I am in a cell the size of a bathroom. Just me and my thoughts and my Bible pictures of my kids and my memories she was born fast a sprinting spectacle an olympic champion powerful and poised marion jones was a track and field icon the fastest woman in the world i fed off of that emotion like i looked forward to it i anticipated it um, that at that moment everything that i had worked for came down to those 
10, 11 seconds. And all eyes are going to be on me, and I had to perform. How did fame affect you? I thought that I was handling it right, but looking in hindsight, I certainly wasn't. And I, I got caught up, as I like to say, in the wave of fame. The tide ebbed for Marion in 2008 when the door slammed in her federal prison cell for her role in the infamous Balco affair, a steroid abuse investigation. Marion claims her coach introduced the steroid known as the clear, a banned substance as the nutrient flaxseed oil. When investigators probed, she denied any knowledge of it, only to end up six months in prison. That's pretty harsh stuff. It is. One of the hardest federal female prisons in the country. I found myself in a situation that I had to defend myself. Because of that, I was in solitary confinement for over 45 days. I was locked up 23 out of 24 hours a day, and many times 24 out of 24 hours a day. Marion's public fall from world's fastest woman to felon is the subject of her memoir, On the Right Track. Her Olympic dream began in 1984, when Los Angeles was host to the Summer Olympics. My stepdad took me to the Olympic parade and I saw the athletes waving and that summer I sat in front of my television and I watched them. And I watched the athletes cross the finish line. And that summer I wrote on my chalkboard that I was going to be an Olympic champion. Really? My mom has told me that she never doubted me. I mean, kids always, sure. you know. Dreams. But then to fast forward a few years, at the age of 14, I made my first Olympic team. By the 2000 Sydney Olympic Games, 24-year-old Marion blazed into the record books. I had attempted to win five gold medals, and I walked away with five medals, three of them being gold and, and two of them being bronze. She was the first female athlete to garner five medals in a single Olympic Games. Marion's superstar status was secure in Olympic glory until three years later, when a federal doping investigation among elite athletes revealed her feats were fueled by steroids. In 2007, Marion pled guilty to lying to federal investigators and was sentenced to prison. I chose to not ask questions and ignore possible warning flags. And when it came down to it, and I was confronted by federal investigators, and I knew the difference between right and wrong. Hey, I knew the difference between right and wrong. I made the choice to lie. I made the choice to break the law. The hardest part to me was knowing that so many people who loved me and cared for me all this time would just be incredibly disappointed in me. Her fame turned to infamy when she entered prison. But there in solitary confinement, broke, stripped of her medals, all her prize money, and contact with her husband and two sons, Marion encountered God. Prior to entering prison, I, the research that I did do, and I found out that I was allowed to bring in a Bible and you're allowed to bring in a couple of pictures, and, and pretty much that's about it. And when I was in solitary, I found myself opening it up and the words just kind of oozing into me, and I was like a sponge. Sometimes God puts you in situations where there's nothing else. You have to turn to Him, and I feel comfortable saying that, and it's okay. That um, I, I really feel that that God put me in a situation, slowed down my life enough to say, hey, you know what, Marion? I should certainly be the most important thing in your world. Because of that mm -hmm. uh, surrender to God, to Jesus, that it was worth it to pay uh, yes. that price? Absolutely. I say it all the time. 
Absolutely. I wouldn't wish it on my enemy, but actually I would. <laughs> no, if it will change them in such a positive way. It has helped me to prioritize what's important in my life. And it's not fame. It's not fortune. God's still working on me. I, I don't want people ever to think that I have figured it all out and I know the plan. It's not like that. I'm still a work in progress, but all along I know that, that what I'm doing is, um, is God's work. After serving her sentence, Marion was reunited with her husband, Oba, and sons. She went on to play professional basketball in the women's NBA, and she had her daughter. In the span of three or four years, right, I'm in solitary confinement. How in the world can so much good has happened in my life since then? It could only be him. I wanted to share my journey with people with the hopes that um, people can be inspired <laughs> and they can hold on to hope by listening to everything that I've been through because I certainly was at a point where hope was gone. I thought it was gone. <laughs> and so I like to say that I'm, I'm, I'm still Marion Jones, but I've just been um, uh, transformed. God using you in our life this morning.